The Free For All Roundtable. Round two. Joining us for round two, Brad Bradford, Toronto City Councillor in the news himself this morning, a lawyer and professor and activist, pa- Pamela Palmiter, and Kevin Vuong, the MP for Spadina, Fort York. Good morning to you all. Morning, John. Good morning. So let's start with, uh, I'll, I'll call him the man of the hour, at least on one subject where it's a little unfortunate, I guess, Brad Bradford, that there's a tobogganing ban that's been rescinded, uh, which makes sense, except there's no snow. In fact, it's going to be 13 above Celsius. But nonetheless, on a point of principle, uh, I think a sensible result was achieved by the majority of the city council, the vast majority. Yeah, you know what? And I think there were, for a lot of Torontonians, this was the hill to die on. Um, it It's just a common sense solution prevailed at City Hall, which is what we were all hoping for. Um, the idea that the bureaucrats down there wanted to bubble wrap everybody's kids was nonsense. And look, at the end of the day, tobogganing is a quintessential Canadian experience. We are a winter city. We are a family city. And uh, this 45 hill tobogganing ban flew in the face of all of that. So we had lots of discussion. There was uh, some in-camera components. Um, but uh, after all of that, the vast majority of councillors lined up on the right side of this and, you know, happy to say this morning that uh, when there is snow, when the white stuff starts flying, uh, kids and families will be able to enjoy tobogganing like they have for generations here in Toronto. So, Pamela, you're a lawyer. I'm a lawyer. When Brad makes reference to the uh, in-camera parts, that's when the lawyers for the city were giving advice saying, look, there are some liability mm-hmm. issues here. It would have caused me to say, well, I'm glad you brought those to my attention, but I still would have voted to uh, to, to do rescind the ban on tobogganing. Are these liability issues, do you think, um, you know, serious enough that the ban was justified in the first instance or was it a bit of overreach? Well, we'll never really know because those are rightfully, yeah, in camera um, discussions and all of these things, whenever there's a rule or a warning or some kind of ban on anything, including products or activities, it's always because of something terrible that has happened, that there's a liability or, or you're might trying, to prevent, pr- trying to prevent a liability. And I think at the end of the day, it was done in good faith. You don't want kids to be hurt. We know Kids are hurt by snow plows and cars and things like that. So I think it was done in good faith. It's rescinded now. Uh, I don't really think it's a massive issue. Yeah, Kevin Vuong, all's well that ends well. Well, you know, John, I think for me, I wonder if this speaks to a more systemic issue where that there might be a cultural thinking within the city where instead of finding a way to make tobogganing safer, the default position was to take the easy way out and cancel fun. You know, the reality is Torontonians work so hard to earn a living and they pay a lot of tax. I think they expect the city to figure out how to make things happen, not to take the easy way out. So I'm grateful to Brad for all of his hard work to make this happen. But I wonder about all of the other things that might have been canceled instead of figuring out how to make it happen. And I think that's, you know, Kevin, you're right. And I think that's why people were so worked up about this. Like we find a way to make skate parks happen every year. Hundreds of thousands of people enjoy swimming in Lake Ontario. Um, We have full contact hockey in our ice rinks. So the idea that tobogganing was just so egregious and such a massive risk for the city. uh, And I can tell you that that it's not. Um, 
this was just a, a step too far, and uh, I'm glad we sorted it out yesterday. All right, well, let's move on uh, and talk about car theft. And a particular part of this, there's a summit going on in Ottawa today, which is, I guess, okay. Um, it's a bit performative, I think these things are, but they're at least getting together and seeing if there are better ways in which they can stop car theft from happening. But juxtaposed against that is a story in the news saying, based on a report by the auditor's department, the federal government auditor, that most of the people that are tasked with the kind of uh, maintaining our borders from the standpoint of smuggling, car theft, guns, drugs, are people that have not received the basic training they were supposed to have received to be investigators. Uh, I, I don't know how these things happen, but I think, uh, you know, Kevin, it does bring government into disrepute generally, whether it's federal, provincial or municipal, that these things seem to go on. They go on in businesses too, but it just seems in government there's more of it. Yeah, this is alarming. Um, and perhaps it might explain now why the border agency seems to have been so ineffective in stopping the illegal export of stolen cars, which has had a real impact on Torontonians. You know, we heard earlier that a car is stolen on average every five minutes in Canada. Last year, over 11,000 were stolen in Toronto. That's a car stolen every hour. So that's why, John, yesterday I voted in support of the conservative motion that brought mandatory penalties for car thieves and, and ended house arrests um, and easy bail for repeat offenders. What I was really disappointed and concerned about is the fact that the NDP and the Liberals voted down what would have been real tangible actions that could have been taken and instead they're holding yet another summit to talk about the problem. Torontonians and Canadians don't need more talk. We need action to keep people safe. Pamela, I guess part of the problem here is, though, that you're not going to get, you know, an opportunity to impose a harsher penalty on a repeat car thief if uh, the investigators who are supposed to be tracking them down and identifying them and causing them to be arrested are not given the proper training and to allow them to know where to go look for car thieves and stolen cars. Exactly. Um, it's it. It hurts prosecutions. This hurts even if you do catch people uh, and keep in mind how many actually flow through. You're only spot checking people. It hurts prosecutions on the other end, which hurts the owners ultimately. And that's in addition to the, you know, frontline pipeline of all of the failures when people know where their cars are because they have tracking devices and they call the local police and the police are like, oh, we can't handle it. It's got to be the rail yard or it's got to be the shipyard or it's got to be someone else. And they pass the buck for so long that by the time it gets to the border, it's, it's going through. So there's a lot of failures. This is a it's a gross failure. And I would suggest probably a liability issue. Yeah, Brad, um, I worry about stolen cars and the ability to sort of intercept those and identify who's stealing them and shipping them out of the country. I worry even more when it comes to the very same people who are supposed to be watching for guns and drugs uh, coming into our country because that's been a real problem, both of them, for us. And, uh, you know, again, these are the same people that say they're not getting, the auditor says they're not getting their training to help them identify how drugs are coming in, how guns are coming in, and those are real problems for us. What a massive red flag this is, and it really is... Uh interjurisdictional all three levels of government you know I'd start here at home in the city of Toronto um, the fact that the mayor is cutting the police board approved budget right now and and those dollars go to hiring the frontline officers that we need to be able to respond to these incidents I mean how many folks out there have had multiple cars stolen uh, over the past couple of years in the city and you know that the police are just not even available to be dispatched because that's not a priority one call uh, you know it's a big deal when your car is being stolen but that's not uh, that's not somebody 
breaking into your house. So then you look at the issues that we're having with, with the hate rallies and the protests. We've got the hate crime unit where we've added 30 additional officers, but that comes from somewhere else. I can't get into the details of where those resources are coming from, but they're not net new officers. So we're taking officers away from some of the, the work that goes on with guns and gangs and, and trafficking and carjacking. Those resources are being redeployed to deal with the hate crimes issues. Uh, and, and it puts a city really under strain. Then you get into the federal government and the fact that these vehicles go into our harbors and our ports. Uh, nobody's checking the manifests. They're going out. Uh, we're only tracking these vehicles if you got an Apple AirTag in it or something. And then, you know, by the time we figure out where they are, uh, they're on the other side of the Atlantic. So red flag, lots more work to be done. Uh, but I think it starts here at home in the city of Toronto, too. I want to move uh, for a moment to something international. We'll start with you, Pamela. And I was talking uh, this morning with an NBC News correspondent that's at the Supreme Court of the United States today where they're hearing this case on whether Donald Trump's name should be uh, taken off the ballot because he uh, led the insurrection on January the 6th. And I was just commenting on the fact that there's so much to be said, including by this correspondent, about the sort of political nature of the Supreme Court of the United States and how it's uh, got a six to three majority of conservatives and how it's polarized like the rest of the United States and saying that while things aren't perfect here, we've been luckier in the context that we've had a tradition and a series of people who have been in positions on our Supreme Court of Canada that is much less ideological and political and focuses more on the law and the facts and trying to get the best decision they can. Yeah, and, and I mean, I think in fairness, that's not to say that there isn't bias right. in all levels of court in Canada, including in people. the Supreme Court of Canada, yeah. but generally... To, to worry about, oh, wow, these are actually conservative judges. These are liberal. These are NDP. They, like, I can't imagine how they handle that in the United States. I think their system is super flawed. You're not you can't really rely on the decisions as being about the law or good for the people or respectful of the Constitution when it's when you have to worry about the politics. Kevin, uh, you know, we can't be smug about anything up here, and we sometimes are, but I do think that the comments Pamela made, the comments I made, you know, reflect a system that does seem to function a bit in, in, in a bit of a less partisan ideological way and, you know, get decisions that are so important nowadays that uh, are going to be sort of more in line with kind of reality as opposed to politics or ideology. Yeah, I, I agree. Our Supreme Court is boring, largely, and, yeah. and I say that affectionately, right? Yeah. Um, other than when they're rendering a decision, for the most part, we don't hear from them, and I think that's a good thing. Now, the reality is the process is that the government of the day nominates people to the Supreme Court, and we as Canadians would hope they're nonpartisan, but it's natural that the justices that they, the government of the day will nominate will reflect their values. Um, but we, I know there are still some issues. There, We do need, uh, there is a shortage of, of justices, cases are, are being thrown out, and I think Justice delayed is justice denied. So I think Supreme Court being nonpartisan for the most part and boring is great, but that doesn't mean there aren't other issues that Canada's facing within our justice system. All right, Brad, I'm not going to ask you to comment on that. I want to move on to the last thing, just so we don't run out of time and get everybody to give a little comment and really state their intentions on this last issue, which is we just talked about this uh, Tucker Carlson, Vladimir Putin interview, which has now been confirmed that it happened and that it's being broadcast on X tonight. Um, is, is this something people should be paying attention to, given his own commentary and given who his interview subject is? Uh, and would, would it be something you would watch? I mean, would you watch it? If, if so, why? And if not, why not? Well, I won't be watching it because I'll be at my Budget Town Hall at the East York Civic Center. Uh, shout out anyone that wants to drop by. Uh, so I won't be seeing it. But look, uh, Tucker Carlson 
you know, in my perspective, has some very disqualifying views on all of this. I'm not really interested in hearing a whole lot more about it or providing the platform for the propaganda that we know is perpetuated by Vladimir Putin. Um, you know, this this is a probably a win for Tucker in that it's going to drive a lot of clicks on his website. There's a lot of money to be made for that, um, but I don't think it's it's helpful for our democracy. I don't think it's helpful for the the people of Ukraine. And at the end of the day. Uh, Vladimir Putin got his tanks, put them on the border, and rolled them into the Ukraine, and that's kind of how we we got here. Any any sort of other justification is just a bunch of spin and garbage, and that's that's not how I want to spend my time. Yeah, and Pamela Brad talks about uh, a win for Tucker. It's a win for Putin too, because he's really not been given much attention to sort of spout his views on why he invaded a democratic country. Exactly. You've got Tucker, who's going to win ten times over, and you know popularity by certain amounts of people, get lots of clicks on YouTube and social media and website. But Putin is actually going to be able to reach millions. It's very strategic on his part. He's going to be able to reach millions more than he would have uh, alternatively. So this, this is really Tucker opening up the channels for Putin. And I'm wondering, is he is he going to go on a, a little tour of, of dictators and, and other yeah, people point. to do this? Good point. Pamela, thank you for that. And uh, last word to you, Kevin, just in 10 seconds, watch or not for you? Not watching. I'll be busy debating the government on the issues of hate rallies and safety in our cities and across the country. A better use of your time, uh, he said, uh, uh, sure. sitting here in my chair. Thank you to uh, Brad Bradford, Pamela Palmiter, and to Kevin Vuong, MP, on round two. Catch the roundtable, round one at 745, round two at 845. Weekday mornings on More in the Morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.